Wow, thank you, choir. Somebody's like saying, yeah, game on. Hey, Terry, I think that if you just get a little excited, it'd be awesome. I leaned over. Cynthia, remember Christy singing? We, we had a lady in our prior church who would sing, and, and she would get super excited. And I leaned over to Susan. I said, Terry is just about here. Because she would get so excited. We did the uh, song. What was that song that we did? Um, Days of Elijah, right? We'd do Days of Elijah. She'd be singing Days of Elijah. She'd jump and go, whoa! I mean, it was, uh, for those of you that sleep in, good morning. And so uh, she would, I mean, she'd move across the stage and she'd get so excited. She'd just leap in there. Whoa! I just, I saw Terry. Just, he's right on the edge. Don't hold him down. So good morning. It's a great morning. Wow. To um, be able to worship and to, to meet here around the great I am is so profound. Um, I, I just want to build for a minute or two. I'm, I'm not going to um, go super long. I am cognizant of, of what time it is and that, you know, where we are in the service. And so you can be at peace with that. But I do want to, to move down toward the end of a series of thoughts on freedom and, and maybe set the table for um, where we're heading, not only this weekend, but next, as we read some profound verses in the book of Colossians. If you're a guest, we're, we're walking verse by verse through the book of Colossians. Um, and really, we've almost been in a little theological off-run on the what and how of our faith. Like, what does it look like for a body of believers to be circumcised of heart? As Colossians 1, I believe it's the 12th verse says, you know, actually verse 11, that we're, we're not circumcised as, as people try to do, where they come around and say, look, we don't eat certain things, we don't drink certain things, we go to a certain day, and we're very arrogant about that. In fact, he says, that's the antithesis of the faith in Jesus Christ. Christ comes along and he circumcises our hearts. And we talked about that for the last two or three weeks, just that that would lend to a level of humility that is unprecedented in the church of Jesus Christ. And we just really looked through a series of verses all the way from the Old Testament through the New of what God really desires for us, which is, which is a humble and contrite heart. Just a group of people who humbly come before him and say, God, here is our heart. Do with it as you will. I mean, it would be a group of people who are utterly approachable, right? Just a group of people sitting in this room who are saying, look, unlike the Pharisees of the day of Christ, who literally said, we don't, we don't go near the lost, the hurting, or the sick, Jesus was the antithesis of that, and so would his church. That's not a good sentence. His church would be the antithesis of well, right? Like, we, we would be the people who are the most approachable on the planet, any person walking in any place of life would not necessarily say we walk in and find, we find that we're comfortable here. They would walk in and say, we find that we are loved here and that we can belong here, that we can grow here, that God can change lives here. I mean, this would be a, a place that is robust in our depth where the conversations would flow back and forth with one another. And there would be, as, as we, um, the sentence I said last week was so uh, powerful for me personally, just to be able to say, um, look, if, if this is happening, this is going to be good. I've, I've lost a sentence. The church family that's not talking about the greatness of God among them, and this is uh, out of experiencing God, by the way, that whole body will be disoriented toward God. But a robust and depth, a, a deep church in, in Christ, I mean, when these conversations are going on, and again I say, uh, let's talk about the depth of our fellowship based on what's happened the last three hours. I mean, we've literally had the chance to be together as a church one time a week for many of us. And for the last three hours, how has the depth meter been here where, where we're just looking at one another and these stories of transformation are, are being told? 
You know, that God is literally changing lives. I mean, literally, I love to walk up to preach just after Ron Carr catches me in the atrium and says, by the way, the person from a, a, an East, a Middle Eastern country came to know Christ yesterday. You know, that for me, that's just powerful. And then he go, goes on and sits down and just talks to me for a minute about the, the, the turmoil in the country and the grace of God moving as they are here and torn between the two. And I don't know, what's your stories of transformation? As, as we were talking about this, Ryan, I had a, a, a flashback. I, I remembered as we entered into uh, the holiday season last year, um, Ship was talking to me and Ryan comes up and says, man, I had the craziest dream. You remember this conversation? It was powerful for you. And so um, this is your talk to me. So you should. So he's, I had this crazy dream. I was standing up and I was doing, I think I've actually even shared this in this room. I was standing up and I was doing the welcome. And, and I thought, wow, in light of this sentence, you know, if the church of Jesus Christ together are telling the stories of Jesus Christ, the whole body will be oriented toward God. And there will just be this urgency and expectancy here, right? And so he said, he said, this is his dream again. Turning back to the dream, his MLK moment. He said, I have a dream. And he said, I have a dream that was beautiful. And it was this powerful thing because I'm just saying hello to everybody. And finally, we kind of get to this moment and a couple raises their hand. And they just looked at me and they said, you know, Pastor Ryan, we just got to say that we're, we want to tell and confess to the church right now that we are so sorry. We don't have a transformational story this week. And we apologize for that. And I looked at him and he finished that. He said, man, that was like, I woke up going, that's awesome. And I said, that's not a dream. That's a word of prophecy. That's a prayer that we all should have. We're going to talk about robust depth where we're literally sitting at the welcome moment and everyone around us are so passionate about our hearts being circumcised for the sake of the glory of God that we literally are walking in going, you don't have a transformational story this week? Are you kidding me? You've walked for seven days with God, Jesus Christ, birthing his life in you, circumcising your heart, cutting away the fleshy parts for the sake of his nature being most prolific in you. I mean, there are stories going on in here, right? So, so then he says, so that's, the, that's kind of the what and how of, of what's going on. But I love where Paul goes. And Paul is always such a systematic thinker. And it makes it easy on preachers because he's so precise and systematic. He says, but I want you to understand these stories don't flow out of a how and what you should do. It's, it flows out of a wine. And he just carries on in his thinking in the next verses. He says in verse 11, if you've been reading with me, you've been circumcised not with, with the hands of men, with the heart of God. It's done by Christ. But then here's wine. You have been buried with Christ in baptism. Listen, listen. You have been buried with Christ in baptism and you have been raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. There are no words that I will say that resonate a better moment for an internal heart, hallelujah, than that word. There, there is nothing that I can add to that this morning that is more powerful than what Paul just said as to the why about us. You want to understand why your heart is being circumcised for the things of God. Why you would literally pull your heart out on a daily basis. Not literally, that would be awkward. But why you would spiritually pull your heart out on a daily basis and say, Here it is, Father, and I'm going to lay it before you as a living sacrifice. And God, if you would, would you allow this sacrifice to be holy and pleasing to you? 
And so here is my heart. Here is my mind. Here are my actions. Father, circumcise as you will. And here's why, God, because I have been buried with you in baptism and I have been raised with you through the faith and the power of God. And that resurrection, the same power that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead, that's what resurrected me. And then he, and then he says something else that's mind-boggling. And we'll, we'll kind of dig into this in the next week or two. And we're going to close out this series next week. But when you were dead in your sins of circumcision, this is where you were. Where you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. And then I love this facet of God that just carries on in Scripture. He forgave us all our sins. I do love that. But he canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us. He took it away and he nailed it to the cross. And he just proclaimed over us that my grace is sufficient for you. And what he's basically saying, this is a great military metaphor, when you would dominate an enemy, you would take them and march them through the streets and you would tower over them insufficient. We have defeated you. And it would be a great moment. And the Lord is saying, Jesus in his reconciling work has taken death, hell, sin, and the grave. And he is parading it through and saying, look, here is the power of the cross. Here is the power of the triumph. I am disarming the powers and authorities that made a public spectacle. I am making a public spectacle of them. I am triumphing over them through the cross. I mean, these verses should set our hearts aflame, and they are the why of we would allow our hearts to be circumcised by God. And so I, I just really want to be super simple today and share one story, the beginning of that. I mean, what does it look like? What does it look like to be able to say, God, I was dead in the middle of my sinful nature. I was, I was dead in that. And you, I was buried in that. And somehow you stepped in and you resurrected me from that, and you forgave me of everything. And, and this part of God, I really do like. And you, by the way, in your forgiveness, you paraded it through the gates of hell, proclaiming the sufficiency of the cross of Jesus Christ. You, you just, you declared over me and we had a, we had a fest over it. It was, it was amazing. So what, what, why? I mean, what does that, what does that look like for us? How does that, and I, I just put some notes in your notes that just said, I think it would look like a group of people who are fully alive. Just fully alive for the things of God. I think his name was Irenaeus. One of the early church fathers says, the glory of God is the people of God fully alive. People of God not sitting in and living some partial middle ground of their spiritual condition or spiritual journey in him, but the glory of God is man fully alive, fully attuned to the things that he's about, fully passionate for him. When, when we're hearing that song, I am, we're just, our hearts are so flooding heaven and we're so crowning him with many crowns. We are so crying out of his goodness. I mean, the glory of God is man not partially alive or kind of one foot in and one foot out. The glory of God is man fully alive. I'm just simply saying to you, God, I want you to just come in and step in and bring me out of this, the sinful nature that I have to have so, such a propensity to run to. And God, I just want you to carve that away. I want you to step in the middle of my life. I want you to step in the middle of my death. I want you to step in the middle of my enmity. I want you to step in the middle of my sin. And please, Father God, if you will, proclaim life over that. And that's, that's the only ability we have to be fully alive. And the best, 
the way I know to understand fully alive is just to go to an account in Scripture where one was fully dead and made fully alive. And so in John, the 11th chapter, there's just a story that I want to tell, and you should read this story. It's a story of beauty. It's a story of wonder. It's a story of request. It's a story of faith. It's a story of confusion. It's a story of mystery, a story of wondering. It's a story of a group of people who are simply passionate for the things of God. It's a story of request. It's a story of faith. It's a story of death and a story of life. It's a story of Lazarus. And I love this story because it's a story about us. It's not just a story about Lazarus. And if we're going to talk about being fully alive, I love this, this picture as you read the 11th chapter of the book of John. Um, it just kind of comes to Jesus this way. Jesus, your friend is sick. Jesus, your friend is really sick. Jesus then flips over to his conversation with the disciples and they talk about this. And he's like, you know, we're going to linger here for a little bit. Lazarus is sick. That's the message we're getting. But the glory of God is going to be manifest. And by the way, I'm going to go wake him up in a minute. And they're looking at him. They're going, well, if he's sleeping, Jesus, isn't he going to get better? And Jesus said, oh, no, he's dead. I'm I'm just going going to wake him up in a few minutes. And I love this picture of Jesus because on the other side of the equation, you've got Martha and Mary who are just deeply sorrowful and in pain over this and they're calling out to the one that they fully believe by faith as best as their faith move forward and wow this is just this could take my heart into a tangent and I won't go there but my mind just ran as best their faith in that moment took them forward they wanted Christ to step in but what he was going to do is he wasn't simply going to step in to the faith that they currently had he was going to step in and circumcise their hearts a bit more and expand their faith and it's such a powerful, powerful moment for Jesus as he just looks at the disciples and says, I'm going to linger here for a bit, but it is going to be, and I love he says this, it is going to be for the glory of God and the good of the faith that we linger. And so just if you're sitting in a circumstance right now and you're just kind of mysterious and you're abounding in death, suffering, pain, turmoil, would you just rest in the reality that God may or may not be coming to you at this moment, but even in the midst of his lingering, it will be for the glory of God. And there is an utter trust in the sovereignty and the sufficiency of God in this moment. And so he does linger for a bit, and then when he finally says, okay, guys, let's go that way, I love the two things that happen in this moment. Well, there's a lot of things that happen, but I love these particular two, because he comes to the edge of Bethany, Martha comes running out to him, and she says, Lord, Lord, where have you been, you know? I am broken about this. And she's standing there holding him and says, Lazarus is dead. And he says, I know that, but I love this theological truth. We were just singing this truth. He said, but what I want you to know, Martha, is I am the resurrection and the life. I am going to step into the middle of a dead situation and I am going to speak life into it. And you should just rest and be, you should be so filled with expectancy right now. And so Martha, here's what's going to happen. I'm just going to speak into this situation, but not quite yet. And so she turns around and I find this intriguing that he just kind of lingers on the outside. By the way, this is a whole nother subsidiary point that I won't make today. At the risk of his own peril, he walked into this situation. So I'm just kind of throwing out a few little curves so you can process a little bit. What areas are you saying, God, at the risk of my own peril, I trust your sovereignty? 
You know, God, I, I may walk back into this situation and everything in me says I could walk into that situation and lose this, that, or the other, including my life. But I'm going anyway. That's where Jesus was in this moment. And so he walked into this situation in his own peril. She runs back to Mary and says, Mary, the Savior is here. The Messiah is here. And I love this about Christ. She runs back out with Mary. And Mary, as opposed to Martha, who grabs him by the shoulders and is laying into him saying, why weren't you here? Mary falls at his feet weeping and saying, Jesus, if you had just been here, Lazarus would be alive. And in her weeping, there is one of the most profound, I shared this with our students last week, one of the greatest memory verses for you in all of Scripture, because you can grab it right away, but one of the most profound moments in all of Scripture, because it literally says, after Jesus just, just ministered her in that moment, he looked up, and look, you know the rest of the story if you've got moderate biblical knowledge, like Lazarus is about to come back to life. It's going to be beautiful. Jesus knows all this, but I love the passion of the moment and the scripture where it says, and Jesus wept. Because what I really love in this, for all of us who meet all of the different emotional corridors of this room, there are some of you that super connect to God and you throw your hands in the air. And I love sitting behind someone who says, I can't sit down in this song because God made me that way. I'm just going, me either. Let's stand. Some of you are more stayed and that's okay. And I love this about our God because he meets the stayed person where they are in theological truth that will have ramifications that will echo throughout eternity. I am, Martha, the resurrection, oh, you stayed one. I am, Martha, you intellectual, beautiful one, the resurrection and the life, and you need that truth right now. And I love that Jesus meets those of us who are wired that way. We're not super emotional, not very, you know, effervescent, but you need that word of truth to sink into your core. And I love that he meets us Marys in that way as well. Isn't it awesome to have a Jesus who meets us in the theological truths and at the very depths of the core of our heart? And isn't it awesome to have a Christ who is theologically rich and who weeps with us? And that's what went on in this moment as he just simply stood in. And then he said, please take me to the tomb. And without pulling this story out over a long haul that the story is, he stood outside the tomb. And I've heard... I've heard a lot of pastors do different things with this, and they are powerful sentences like, you know, um, it was a really big moment. I, I heard my, I think it was my father even, said, look, this is a great moment because this tomb that is hewn out of the rock, it is not a tomb that just holds Lazarus. And it's really good that Jesus qualified this in that moment because Jesus had just said, hey, come out. There would have been this powerful spilling out of the tomb. So he literally qualifies it with Lazarus. You're the only one that I'm calling out of here right now. I mean, it's a power. And I've heard that really built up, and you can picture that if you've sat in service for a while, where the pastor builds that up in the moment, and he just, you know, my dad with that deep crescendo bass voice says, Lazarus, come out. And I was like, I want to accept Jesus again, you know? I mean, it's such a powerful moment. I, I don't know, though. I don't know that my image matches that as I've read through the scripture over and over this week. I just, I just see a Jesus who is so humble and broken. As I read Jesus wept, I just see Jesus standing out saying, I did not create you before the foundation of the world. I did not form you in your mother's womb for these moments. I didn't number your days for you to stand in this. And this moment breaks my heart. And what I'm about to do is only temporarily to release him because Lazarus is going to die again. And so I just see Jesus in utter humility standing outside the grave. And I don't know how he spoke it. Every pastor that I've ever heard may have gotten it right. 
I don't know how he said it. I just know that he spoke over that tomb, Lazarus, come out. And I love that he did. But I want you to hear that as he said, you know what, I want you to understand what it means to be fully alive. You have been buried with Christ in baptism. You were buried in the middle of your sin and your shame. You were buried in the middle of your grief. You were buried in the midst of your sorrow. You were buried, and here's what the scripture says about us. Here's what the scripture says about us as opposed to Christ. The reason we needed this burial and this calling out is that apart from Jesus Christ, we don't just have problems. We don't just have a bad heart. We don't just have some spiritual issues. We are dead. We are in a tomb and dead. And this makes, this is why the why is so pivotal for us because many of us can become arrogant or proud and we will lack that marker of humility because we will forget that apart from Jesus standing on the edge of our grave and crying out, Mark Siegel, come out. Apart from Jesus calling me out and baptizing me into his death and baptizing me into his forgiveness and baptizing me into his wholeness and baptizing me into his completion and resurrecting me for the newness of life. Apart from that, I've got nothing. And he looks at Lazarus. Lazarus is dead for four days. And Jesus stands on the edge of the grave. And he looks at him and he says, Lazarus, come out. And he does. It is such a beautiful moment. And to just prepare your heart for next week. To prepare your heart for next week. Love the next step because Lazarus comes out. And can you imagine what it was like? Can you imagine what it's like? I mean, what would church be like if we believe this spiritual axiom, if we believe this theological truth? When someone walks down this aisle, or when some little child in Awana says yes to Jesus, or some student in the middle of an apologetic study discovers that they need Christ, can you imagine what happened on the edge of that tomb? I mean, I'm talking about the stones rolled away. I love the King James in this moment because Martha looked at him and said, Lord, he might stinketh. It's the best verse in scripture. I think he will stinketh. And the Lord is just going, yes, all of our sin, all of our mess, all of our depravity, all of our brokenness, all of our death does stinketh. But when I speak over that, oh my goodness. He will walk out and you could just picture him walking out. But then there is a beautiful moment. The last verse that you read about this encounter. I so wish there would be more to this story. I can't wait to get to heaven. I don't know how it plays out in heaven. I do hope there's a room where you get to see historical moments. Because I want to know not only what happened after this moment, what happened the rest of his life. Like what was Lazarus like? I mean, what, how did he live his days? We don't know, but I guarantee you that if you're in that room a few times, I'm going to be checking that out. But I love when he's standing there because here's what happened to Lazarus. Here's where so many of us are. We have been birthed out, buried in the midst of our death. We have been called out by Christ by name. We have walked out. And here's the freedom that he is proclaiming over us right now. He literally looks at the people, and we're going to dig into this next week, so just gear up. But right now, I'm just going to share with a sentence. He looks at the people and says, do this for him. He is alive. They are dancing. He is forgiven. They are dancing. He is whole. They are dancing. He has just come out of the grave. They are jubilant. And he says, oh, by the way, please take off his grave clothes. Free him. 
It's not just that Jesus has made you alive, people. Listen to this, church. It's not that you made you alive when you were dead in your sins and in your circumcision of your faith. He made you alive with Christ. And listen, he said, I forgive you all of your sins. Take off your grave clothes and walk in the freedom of what God fully intends for you. I would imagine that that would call all of us to simply say, Lord, if you being God felt so compelled to make a radical spectacle of that, how do I? If, and I know that we're all Baptists in this room, or most of us, and we get, you know, we're a little laid back. And, but, I mean, just understanding the nature of our God. I just want you to see the nature of our God in this moment. In the moment where he released us from freedom, it was a moment of pretty significant emotion and, more importantly, declaration. Because he walked through the streets of hell itself proclaiming victory. And my practical question to, to maybe wrap this day and say, oh, come back and let's talk about this more next week. My practical statement for you is, if all that's true, and you and I have been caught out of the grave, and we've been resurrected to new life, and oh my goodness, oh my gracious, we have been fully forgiven and set free. How is God inviting you to make that a spectacle? for the sake of his glory. Hallelujah. Let's pray.